Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 31 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. My guests today are the biggest tag team in Ring of Honor Wrestling. They're also the hosts of Happy Hour with the Bouncers. And honestly, they are just two all-around good dudes. They are the Beer City Bruiser and Brawler Malonis, the Bouncers. Guys, welcome to the show. Hold my beer. Watch this. Beer, beer, beer. Thanks for having us, Kevin. This is awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We're happy to be on. And right on time, too. You guys were uh, very prompt today. <laughs> we, pr- we pride ourselves on being uh, very timely, you know, very punctual. Yes. Well, people, don't appre- people don't appreciate that about us. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate a lot of things about you guys. Um, one of those, well, I have to ask you, though, first off, about the. Uh, and it's what I always, I start this podcast, almost everyone asking people about what they did during the time off. But now we've graduated from that to what was the ROH bubble like? So <laughs> both of you guys were on the most recent set of tapings. Those episodes are starting to air now on uh, Ring of Honor TV. What was it like? What were your individual experiences like being in the bubble? I know everyone had to be isolated. So I know you guys are usually inseparable, but you had to be separated. Well, we we were we were separated, but we still texted every single day, <laughs> um, <laughs> just talking to each other and stuff. Um, I was I was nervous going into the bubble because I don't like uh, being alone for that long, you know, because you're you're just stuck in a room. But it actually was really well. It went by really quick. Um, Ring of Honor kept us pretty busy. Um, where, you know, like Monday you, you land, you check in, get yourself situated. And then Tuesday, you know, you got to be up because you got to do the COVID test. Uh, Wednesday was really the only day where we didn't have anything to do. So Wednesday was kind of a day where you got cabin fever, or at least I did. And then, uh, you know, Thursday we got to go to the dojo and then Friday and Saturday, obviously were the tapings and then Sunday back doing the dojo and fly home. But, uh, it's such a it's such a difference from like what we're used to as well. I mean, there it, usually I mean, in, in, before the days of COVID, it's like you get to a town uh, the day of the show. You you may catch a nap or a meal, but really it's like airport, hotel for a few, go go to the building, do the show, go get a few hours of sleep. If there's a second date on the on the loop, you, you go drive to that. Like so, it's to have like downtime in a hotel room and this and that. It, it was. It was weird. Um, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of parents out there that can uh, identify with what I'm about to say. And that's, you know, I didn't totally hate it. I've been locked up with my kids for <laughs> for like, you know, seven, six, seven months here. 
Uh, I have an eight-year-old and a four-year-old who are just both, you know, an eight-year-old and a four-year-old. They're out of control. And uh, so I didn't hate having some peace and quiet to play some video games and to work out and watch some TV. Like, it, you know, so it was it was long and, and tough. But at the same time, uh, you know, when you're a parent, that's almost like a little bit of a vacation. At least the closest thing I'll ever get to a vacation on my own. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy because, like, time didn't exist um, within the bubble. It was like... You know, you, you, uh, you, let's say Tuesday, you go do your COVID test, you know, in the morning. And then the next thing you know, the next time you look at your phone or your or a clock or something, it's, it's 10 o'clock at night. You're like, where'd time go? Am I been playing PlayStation for eight hours? <laughs> like, what's going on? Well, I haven't really asked too many people about the testing itself. Um, and first off, we should say, we've talked about it on the, on the show before, Ring of Honor and the Maryland State Athletic Commission really did work hand in hand to make this as safe as possible extremely strict, uh, stringent protocols, obviously did the right thing there. Let me just ask you guys from the, from the actual standpoint of the testing and having to stick the swab up your nostrils, uh, how bad was that or was it not that bad at all? I have not been tested. Uh, I am not essential, so I have not been on uh, any of these tapings. I get to stay home uh, with my kids locked up, as, as you were talking about. But what was it, what was it like actually doing it? Because you have to administer this test to yourself, right, at home? Uh, the, Dude, first the first one, one we, had, we did. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm weird where I don't like people touching my nose, so I, I was kind of afraid doing the test because I don't – you know, I obviously don't like people touching my nose. But it really wasn't that bad. And uh, the reason I didn't think – I don't know about Brian, but the reason I didn't think it was that bad was, was – we were doing something uh, required of us to get it back in the ring. So I would look past all the, oh, my God, I have a cotton swab up my nose to it's only 10 seconds, and then I'm done, and then it comes back negative, and I can go do what I love. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's not too – I mean, you think about what we do for a living here and some of the crazy stuff we do. Like, to me, it's really – you know, everything's relative. It really wasn't that bad. I'll tell you what, it's a heck of a lot uh, – it's a heck of a lot better than getting a pool cue uh, jabbed into your, <laughs> into your forehead by Vincent. I can, or darts I can, thrown in your back. <laughs> I can confirm that. Right. I guess once you've been made into a human dartboard or, you know, like you said with the pool cue or pool stick, like, yeah, I guess maybe the swab isn't so bad when you, when you think of it in, in those terms. And you think about it too, like you said it before, uh, Maryland's Athletic Commission, Sinclair, Ring of Honor, they, they went above and beyond to take care of us. Um, during the whole time in the bubble, was I, I was never worried about, oh, my God, you know, I'm, I'm in danger of, you know, getting this virus or whatever. It was, you know, here are your rules you have to follow, and, and okay, I'll follow these rules, and then the reward is you get to wrestle. And that's basically what we did. And, and the whole step of the way was – you know, I got to give a shout out to Ian King and Dave Floridia. They like, they made sure uh, the rules were in front of us, but that we were all following them. They're making sure we were okay during the whole thing. You know, you get a text every day from Ian, how you holding up? You okay? And it was really cool. And, and you felt, instead of just feeling like a number, you actually felt like a person, which is really cool. Yeah, we should tell people, Ian King, his name's been mentioned on the show before. I don't know if I've really explained. Um, Ian wears a lot of different hats, but he's certainly a very vital a uh, guy that works in the Ring of Honor office, Dave Floridia, is sort of our um, unofficial. I don't know if it's official or unofficial, but he basically is our liaison with the talent, uh, talent relations person. So uh, just just so people know when you mention those names, who they are. 
let me ask you this, though. And, and again, I've asked everyone this question who's been on the tapings. The empty arena, was it, was it weird for you guys? I mean, obviously what you do is, uh, is very much based on reactions from the crowd, interacting with the crowd. You didn't have that. Uh, what was that like? Yeah, I think it was for us. I mean, for us, the the big, the biggest difference is, I mean, we come through the crowd, we're toasting people, right? Like, the, like the, our entire entrance is based on interacting with people. So walking down the ramp, I will say, is probably was probably the strangest part, and not just because of the fact that we do an unconventional entrance, but just I think that was the that was the real only part where I uh, I noticed it. that, and when we did our uh, <laughs> bruiser laughed at me. I don't know if it'll make it on TV or not, but. We do our toast, and then I'll always go up to the second rope in the corner, and I just instinctually like went up to the second rope in the corner, and then I just like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, there's, there's nobody here. Right. Um, the, ac- <laughs> the actual wrestling, though, I think once you got wrestling, and once you actually got into the flow of the match, and I, I didn't notice as much as I as much as I thought I would, and I don't know if that's because you know we're a TV company, we're a TV product we're playing to the cameras, you know, 99% of the time in Ring of Honor. So I don't know if that plays a part in it, but I, I didn't notice it um, the, during the actual matches nearly as much as I thought I would. Okay. I know one, one big thing that helped me, and, and I'm, I think Brian and I both talked about it, is we could hear Ian and Caprice, uh, Ian Riccomani and Caprice <laughs> Coleman, the commentators, we could hear them in the ring. So – when you're doing stuff, like you said, you feed off the crowd and stuff like that. Well, Ian and Caprice, they don't know what's good. They're literally watching it real time as they call these matches. And everything you hear they, them react is pure emotion. So it's like, okay, we don't have, you know, 2,000 people yelling at us. Let's listen to these two. And their reactions help too, you know. So it's like, oh, okay, cool. Like we're getting a reaction from somebody at least. And, and Ian and Caprice – are so well at their job and so good at what they do. You know, it helped us, at least me, helped me in the ring. So the other standard question, I guess, is ring rust. Because you guys had so much time off, probably more time off than, you know, other than when maybe you guys have have been injured at times, and more time off than you've probably had in, I don't know, 20 years since you started your careers. Um, Was there ring rust going back in? Brian, let me ask you that first, because – Bruiser, I know you wrestled some over the summer, right? You did some indie shows, so the layoff wasn't quite as long for you. Brian, you yeah. had more of a layoff. Yeah, it's uh, – I mean, honestly, and, and knock on wood, I'll knock on, on some wood here. Uh, I mean, I've been very lucky when it comes to injuries as far as, like, long-term injuries. So this is the longest I had gone since I started um, without without being in a ring. And – um, you know, I did while well, I was doing things at home and, and you know, trying to, um, you know, keep my cardio up and, and to make sure there's just nothing that simulates being in the ring. And, uh, you know, I, I really tried to adhere to, um, you know, the protocols of, you know, staying isolated, keeping my, keeping my bubble, my personal bubble small to mitigate my risk of, of catching it. So I, I hadn't been in the ring since we were in St. Louis. Um, you know, in February, <laughs> that was the last time I was even in a ring. So, yeah, I will say, um, you know, the biggest thing I, I think I know is just that your body's just not used to moving. So the first the first thing I did, like I tweaked my knee, you know, just because I was doing a simple pivot in the ring that I've done a million times. And 
but your body just over seven months just starts is not uh you know not used to doing that so yeah it was it was very real i think it, i think it got off quick you know and, and once i got into the flow of it um but yeah it's real the ring rust is real when you have that long of a layoff and i i did a few indies but i, I literally went from wrestling every weekend you know Friday, Saturday, Sunday, being on a plane and all that to, to wrestling once every other month. Um, I was lucky, though. There's a school local to me that I'm able to uh, – I have a key for, so I was able to go in by myself and hit the ropes and take a couple bumps and stuff. But the, the TV tapings, you know, when you wrestle for a company like Ring of Honor, especially on TV, you go to a different level of – uh, not saying I don't work hard when I do indies, but like, you know, it's TV and, and, and you work and, you know, I mean, uh, a couple of our matches involved the Briscoe brothers and I don't know anybody that's ever been hit by a Briscoe brother, but it hurts. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, I remember texting Brian uh, Friday. It was Friday after we got done and uh, I was in the room and texting him and I said, man, that, that, that sore feelings back, but it's not a bad sore. It's that, that missed soreness, you know, um, sitting in a hotel room, you know, you, you just took a shower. So you're, you're got everything off. The adrenaline's starting to come down and that stiffness and soreness starts feel, you know, soaking back in. And I, I remember I, I texted him and I, I think I texted my wife and I said, I finally feel normal, you know, after <laughs> even doing indies and stuff, you don't feel normal. And then after we got done with the TV and stuff like that, I just remember sitting in my bed, you know, watching TV and it's just like, this is it. This is what normal feels like. And and I think I tweeted it out. Brian tweeted it out, but it was just that, that welcomeness of, Hey, you know, yeah, maybe I'm a little rusty, but, but I'm back. I, I mean something now, like I'm doing something that's meaningful. Right. I think that's a, that's a great point is that returning to some sense of normalcy, which is what obviously we've all been wanting to do for months, not just in the wrestling business. I mean, all of us just in our, in our lives is to get that sense of normalcy back. And we're certainly not there yet. I mean, we're, it, things still aren't normal by any stretch, but certainly you know, we're taking baby steps and having shows again, having tapings again, is certainly a positive stretch and uh, you know, keep putting one front of, foot in front of the other. And hopefully we will get back to what used to be normal for us, whenever that will be. Uh, but yeah, this was a great first step. I want to talk to you guys about what you guys did during this hiatus uh, while Ring of Honor was not running any shows. The challenge really for us uh, in the office and on the creative side and the production side was, okay, we're not going to run shows, but we still want to engage the audience. So we had to be creative and come up with different things to engage. And whether that was starting this podcast or uh, some of the other things we did on YouTube. But I want to say that you guys really were some of the unsung heroes as far as stepping up. Anything that you guys, anything that was sent out to talent of how about this or how about that, you guys immediately stepped up, whether it was writing a blog uh, or whatever it was. And one of the things that came out of this was Happy Hour with the Bouncers, uh, your interview show. So talk to me a little bit about that, about how that idea came about and uh, what your format is for the show. Uh, just talk about that, you know, uh, how you book guests and, and, and all that stuff. 
Yeah, <laughs> format, so, uh, we really we had format the idea, for like, a show, huh? <laughs> yeah. we, we we you know we definitely it was an idea we actually had before the shutdown. We had thought about you know kind of like the vein of Coleman's pulpit and things like that. We thought, man, wouldn't it be cool if we sat at a bar, had had drinks with somebody, and we just had like this really easygoing conversation and then when everything sat down and they we're looking for content and we're looking to you know stay relevant and stay in the public's eye because wrestling is a very fickle and fleeting business where if you're if you're gone for too long people may forget about you so you got to do things to to keep in the eye but yeah i think it, it just kind of evolved from there i will say bruiser is absolutely the the unsung hero of uh of of happy hour he edits it he puts it together he books most of the cast i just show up and look pretty every you know i am the hard problem of the bouncers so i just show up and look pretty and, and perform but uh no bruiser bruiser does a lot but i, th- I think from starting you know doing happy hour to really doing anything we can um you know to help and uh, i think that's just who we are as, as people as well and um you know uh, you know, it was just a situation for us to step up and, and do things and be seen. And and let's face it, they're all fun things. And it's all, it's doing fun things with a bunch of people that, that we really miss too. So on the flip side of it, like it's been, it's been really fun too, to be involved in like role play of honor. And um, I forget the name of the game show now escapes me, but the game show that we won. um, (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Um, So and writing the blogs, like for me, you know, you know, I don't want to totally speak for Bruiser, but it's it's been fun too. Even while we can't wrestle, it, it's been fun, and it's also been um, something to do. Um, you know, like it it's something that to keep our time, you know, keep us busy. Um, when we came up, you know, when Brian Brian was the one that thought a happy hour before TV shut down, you know, because we were both kind of banged up. I had you know had a bad back and and his knee and stuff, and he's like, man, we should think of a way to still be on TV, but not have to bump as much and when everything shut down I, I remember talking to him when hey you remember that idea you had what if we did this here you know and he's like he's like we don't know what we're doing I said that's the best part of it it's like when you say format like there's no format it's just us finding a guest and and you know just going along and and seeing what comes naturally and, and uh as far as booking guests we just try to look at anybody that's on the ring of honor roster or that's been in the ring of honor ring um, we usually send out a message and at first it was kind of like, what is this? You want to do what now to now? It's like, yeah, we've been waiting for you. You know, I've been waiting for you to ask me to be on the show, <laughs> which was good for Brian and I, cause that means that we're doing something right. Um, as far as doing the other stuff, I really look forward to doing like the trivia night and stuff like that. Cause you get to see guys like, obviously I talk to Brian almost every day, but you know, Caprice Coleman, who's also a good friend of mine, you know, I don't talk to as much. So when we do these trivia stuff, it, you get to see him and talk to him. And then we do the role play of honor. Uh, I gotten really, became really good friends with Gator, who's a cameraman for uh, Ring of Honor. And he does the, the role play of honor. He runs it. And it was really cool because, you know, Brian and I literally would show up at every taping, walk up to him, find out, plan our entrance and stuff like that, and then just start talking. And when everything went away, it's like, oh man. And then when we started doing the role play honor, you get to see Gator again, you get to talk to him and Hey man, what's going on? And, and, you know, session with Martina, who's all the way overseas and stuff. And, and you get to catch up and, and 
you know, yeah, we got to work by doing this, but it's also, Hey, here's people that I haven't seen in forever and I get to talk to them and, and have a good time and, and whatnot. So tell people what the uh, schedule is as far as happy hour with the bouncers. You guys always, and, and, I, and I should know this, but I don't, um, I just, I'll see it on, uh, on social media and whenever I see it, I'll watch it. Uh, does it come out the same day every week or what's, what's the schedule? Is there it one? Come, it comes out every Wednesday at noon on the ring of honor social medias. And then the next day it's always loaded to the ring of honor, uh, YouTube page. Um, so it's, it's really cool. Like, uh, like Brian said, I do the editing and stuff like that. And then, um, the marketing team and stuff, Dave and Kevin, they're the ones that put it up on YouTube the next day. But yeah, it's, it's Wednesdays, um, at noon Eastern, you can check it out and we got a lot of fun ones coming up. Yeah. And they're fast and fun too. Like we try to keep it light. We try to keep it fun. We try to keep it fast because it's, it's micro content. It's content people are going to watch on their phones. Unless you get like, you know, a long winded blowhard like Bobby Cruz on. Then oh, just yeah, forever, but. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't watch. I haven't watched that one yet. Did you have to get the hook? Was, was he just going on too long? <laughs> well, the, the uh, he started to razz me about the Patriots yeah. and all, all this nonsense. And no, I mean, here's one thing. I mean, Ravens and Steelers fans can agree on Kevin. <laughs> the, heck, the heck with the Patriots. <laughs> uh, absolutely. I, we'll yeah, Bobby, Bobby came on and his first thing to us, his first statement was, I'm going to make this the longest happy hour ever. And it's kind of like, <laughs> Bobby, we're not about that. We're just about, you know, having fun and, and, short and sweet you know someone can watch it on their lunch break <laughs> you know like right yeah cruise. yeah that is what's great about it is uh is it's not uh, a big time investment it's it, as you said it's relatively short and uh and you guys have fun with it it's very lighthearted. and uh yeah i would recommend it that's why i asked uh what the delivery schedule is where people can see it what time because um it is i, w- I would recommend it to anyone out there if you want a little light-hearted a uh, little fun segment of uh, of wrestling content in, during your day. You definitely want to check out Happy Hour with the Bouncers. I don't know that Happy Hour is necessarily 12 o'clock, but I guess for <laughs> you guys it might be. Happy Hour is anytime you have an open beer in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I can dig that. Um, I wanted to. You mentioned the sparring partner show, oh, and and I'm gonna I'm telling this story because it just illustrates. Uh, how great you guys are with, uh, with, with being team players and everything. When we came up with the idea for sparring partners, it was, uh, you know, three tag teams, I think was going to be the idea. It's basically the newlywed game, um, the wrestling version of it. You know, how well do you know your tag team partner? And uh, we were going to have a series of them. Um, I think we're going to end up probably doing just one, just because from a production standpoint, it took a little longer. There's a little more involved. Uh, but anyway, the idea was we were going to do a series of them. And, um, you know, we had it mapped out. We were going to have three tag teams on the first one, three on the second one, three on the third, whatever. So the first one, you guys weren't booked for the first one. We had you guys booked for the second one. I don't know if you guys even knew that. But one of the teams on the first episode was Silas Young and uh, your guys' old friend, Silas Young, and Josh Woods. And, um, you know, everybody is there on time. The You know, Ian's there, who was the the – host and uh the production people were there and the youtube people and all the talent that was needed to be there was there except silas we're ready to go and there's no silas so josh is is texting him and calling him and no answer silas has no showed sparring partners 
And it was me who said, you know what? Um, maybe someone should reach out to Bruiser and, and Malonis. And um, I mean, I bet you they'd be willing to do this on short notice. And sure enough, the call went out and you guys were there and you won the thing. So once again, always dependable. You can always count on you guys when needed to, to be there and to deliver great content. And you know what? I never did. It's funny because we made a storyline out of Silas not showing up. And it fit right. in perfectly with the relationship between him and Josh. And Josh played it great as, you know, he was still trying to reach him during the show. I never did hear why Silas missed the, missed the show. I don't know if, <laughs> if, if you know or if it's even something we could tell. But obviously he's okay. I think we were worried. Is he okay? Is somebody <laughs> out there? So. I think it was yeah, he was. I think, he, yeah, I think he's Silas fine. Being he's Silas. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, it's like uh, Silas being Silas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it, it was just a big rib on Josh. I don't know. <laughs> but so, no, so I, mean, well, I think that's one of the situations where we like, you know, it's just, you know, but look, the company's had like all of our backs during this entire time. So for the way we've looked at it is, hey, you know what? We're going to be there when we're needed. Um, that's just who we are as people. And, and I think it was, I mean, it was fun. I mean, it was so fun too, but I, uh, I literally was at the dinner table with, with my family. I was like, oh, I gotta go. See you later. <laughs> Ran upstairs, hopped, turned on the computer. <laughs> I had actually just taken pre-workout because I was going to go to the gym. And I, Kevin, I think it was you that texted us. And uh, I, I remember going, well, there goes my workout, but I've been pretty hyped up for trivia tonight. For uh, sparring partners. And like, if you watch it, I'm constantly wiping sweat away because I have so much pre-workout going through me. <laughs> you know, it was like, okay, you know, but like huh. Brian said that the company's taking care of us. Uh, Ring of Honor is going above and beyond to take care of us during this, this whole shutdown and to give back, you know, that's, that's what we're here for. And uh, anything to get out, you know, to get Ring of Honor out in front of the fans, to get us out in front of the fans, you know, um, and I'm a, I'm a creative guy. So when asked to do something, it's like, cool. And I, I think I do best when I have to think on my feet. And that, that whole thing, we didn't have time to prepare. It wasn't like you guys sent us the questions and all that. No, it was literally like, hey, uh, I think it was a 20-minute span between the first text from you, Kevin, to me and Brian actually being on the show. So. Right. Yeah, well, we didn't send the questions to anybody because we really – and that, that discussion came up was should we smarten everybody up and let them know what the questions are so they can prepare. And I said, absolutely not. Like the whole point of this is they don't know the questions ahead of time. And they have to respond to them on the spot. Uh, what fun would it be if you guys knew the questions, right? So, right. I think for us, it shows how close I mean, how close we really are. I mean, when we're on the road, <laughs> we're we're always with each other. We're talking every day, even though we live. You know, I live in New Hampshire. He lives in Wisconsin. Like, you know, we talk every day. Uh, I was fortunate enough. You know, um, you know, Bruiser and his wife came and visited uh, for a week um, in the summer, so that was cool. Um, but it just, I think it just, that show was indicative of just like how, how close we actually are and how much we talked and how good of friends, you know, we've become over the last few years. Well, let me, let me ask you about that. The, the team chemistry, um, were you guys, well, let me ask, let me ask it this way. Who, whose idea was it for you guys to become a tag team? Was this, cause I don't know the answer to this. Was it the office who said, you know what, these two guys would make a good, uh, they'd be good together and be good for the tag team division. Was it something that you guys thought about and pitched? And the second part of that is, uh, did you guys know each other before you both got to uh, Ring of Honor? I know, Bruiser, you're in the Midwest. You, you came up on that independent scene. 
and Brian, you came up uh, in the New England area on that independent scene. Did your paths ever cross before Ring of Honor? The first we answer is, is the, yeah, we hadn't. We hadn't. No, we never mm -hmm. met each other until till Brian did some extra work for Ring of Honor. Uh, the the reason the team came together actually is because of Todd Sinclair. Um, Brian obviously goes way back with pants, you know, um, as they both he can tell you, you know, they they basically started together. And then uh, pants was one of the first guys that I got close to when I got on the road full time with Ring of Honor because we have a lot of interests and stuff like that. And he would always mention uh, Brian. He'd always mention Malonis and and stuff. And then um, I remember working with uh, their, what are they, Viking Raiders now, but it was War Machine. It was Hanson, and, uh, who obviously goes way back with Brian, too. And Hanson would always bring up Brian in conversations and stuff that, that him and I, we'd have great matches together, you know, is what he'd always say. Um, little did I know that Brian and, and Hanson worked each other over, you know, a million times, <laughs> so he knew what he was talking about. And then the, the first time we actually met each other was Brian was doing extra work um, in Philadelphia and we just got to talking and it was like, wow, we were similar paths. You know, we both struggled forever on the Indies and, and whatnot. And, um, we, you know, we both liked the same thing and, and talk, you know, we're stuff like that. And then we ended up, they added us work, um, for a match in Lowell. And it was like, all right, well, let's go out there and show them that, you know, we're two big guys and we can go. And we had a great match. And, the next thing you know, they're like, hey, um, we're doing the, the storyline where Silas and I were looking for a, a third partner to do the six-man titles. And I talked to people, and we were doing interviews and stuff. And I said, don't worry about it. I got it. And then in Phil actually in Philadelphia again, Brian worked Kenny King. And uh, Silas and I come out and beat up Kenny. And Brian turns and joins us. And the next thing you know, it's us for the next, you know, what, three years now. Yeah. 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 Did, did you find that chemistry uh, kind of developed really, really quickly as far as not just your personalities, but uh, in the ring, working as a tag team? It, it, was, I, it was easy chemistry. Like, I, I mean, even outside the ring, I think even before I started, you know, working regularly for Ring of Honor, Bruiser was somebody who, um, you know, we got friendly just, just chatting in the locker rooms. And then we had the opportunity to wrestle, <clears throat> you know, on a TV taping in, in Lowell, Mass. And, that, that really was when we really started to, <laughs> to hit it off. And um, so I, I think it really started with just having a, a, a really easy chemistry outside the ring, um, you know, and, and it's funny because it's not like, you know, we don't have the opportunity to um, where we live in different parts of the country. It's not like we can go to like a, a local wrestling school and, and work on stuff. So it would just be a lot of, a lot of communication, um, you know, over the phone, a lot of phone conversations, a lot of text, and then, you know, trying stuff out, you know, in matches or before, before shows and things like that. But I'll say it's the, you know, over, you know, my 19 or so, so years in pro wrestling, I've had a lot of different tag partners. Uh, this is by far like the easiest chemistry I've ever, I've ever had with somebody as, as my partner. And I think a lot of that is just like-mindedness, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I will say it right now, Brian's the best tag team partner I've had um, because of that like-mindedness and, even when we don't agree on some, it's not an argument. It's uh, I state my why I don't agree. He states why he doesn't agree, and we compromise and come up with a solution. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, you know, um, normally we 
disagree on music and and paranormal stuff. <laughs> no, <laughs> nothing really in ring. <laughs> nothing really in ring. Um, but it's really cool because we had we had that strong chemistry right away, and it, it show. I think it shows on camera. And all all it's done over the last couple of years has gotten stronger. And and like I said, I think it shows on camera. I think it shows when we do our 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 promos and when we do our matches and the happy hour and stuff. And we actually filmed, um, I'm really excited for the fans to see the stuff we filmed at this last TV, especially the sit down interviews. Cause I think it's some of mine, Brian's best work we've done to date, you know, and I'm really excited for the fans to see it. Cause you can see how strong that chemistry is between us. Yeah. And I think the chemistry definitely comes across that uh, these guys um, genuinely like each other. And I think that definitely comes across and uh, certainly the chemistry in the ring is there. Uh, who came up with the bouncer's name? Uh, this, it was like a collaboration of yeah. – um, it, was, it was one of the first names pitched, I think. And I don't know if it was us who pitched it or if it was – It was, it was us. Claire. No, and, we, but we, we had, had pitched I mean, it. We, we had talked about a bunch of different – yeah. a bunch of different things and then we just I mean and then we get to a point you know you get in, in you know you're a creative guy Kevin you get to that point in the creative process where you're just like you're over complicating it and you just land on the first thing that you had thought of because it was like well that that was it was the simplest solution and it's the best one um I don't even remember at this point where some of the other proposed names were but the, you know the bouncers just fit so perfectly I could tell yeah, I you my, I, I could tell you my pitch got shot down <laughs> oh what was that my pitch was two live brew. <laughs> I love. <laughs> I, I, I pitched. I pitched that to uh, uh, Delirious, and uh, he didn't respond. So I was like, <laughs> "All right, well, that didn't go over well." well I, I think. I mean, we didn't. We didn't get named that ultimately. But can we get? Can we get the marketing department on that for a T-shirt? Can that be the next bouncers T-shirt? Yeah, I can say the bouncers two live brew with like a, a keg or something on there. I, I will. T I will talk to the merch people, and uh, of course, I ha I'll have to get a percentage. Sure, sure. It's my, sure, uh, why not? It's my intellectual property. So. <laughs> All right. Well, we're having a good time here. We do have to take a short break, and we'll be back with more with the bouncers right after this. Experience the show that's thrilling critics and fans. ROH TV. The reviews are in. It's completely different than anything in pro wrestling. I enjoyed every minute of this show. ROH TV delivers. Valiant Saint Raves. Take my money. This was awesome. Join the ROH stars for the hashtag watch ROH watch party every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. All right, we are back on the RH Strong Podcast. My guests are the Bouncers, Beer City Bruiser, Brawler, Brian Malonis. I want to go back to the early days now, both of your early days when you were kids. Because right? I know you both grew up as wrestling fans. Just want to ask, like, what are your earliest memories of wrestling? How did you find it? And uh, uh, when did you – the second part of that would be when did you decide that you wanted to be involved in it? My my yeah, earliest mem my earliest memory was when I was seven. Um, my uncle took me to a, a wrestling show. I grew up since I grew up in the Midwest. You know, we had AWA and uh, WCW and WWF around, but the AWA was like they'd run shows around here. My uncle ended up taking me to a 
you know, you go to like a state fair, a county fair, and AWA was there. And the main event was uh, Brody versus Hanson. And I remember being seven years old and Bruiser Brody coming out in the crowd. And, you know, to me, he was, you know, 20 feet tall, just covered in blood and sweat, hustling it up. And I look at my uncle and went, this is amazing. And I was hooked from then on as a wrestling fan. And I did everything I could to find Brody tapes. So that's how I got introduced to, to Japanese wrestling. And I'm going to date myself here, but tape training and stuff like that. And um, Puerto Rican wrestling and, and found out different stuff. And just because of my obsession with Brody. And uh, I remember right then and there when I was seven, I'm like, I want to do this. This is what I want to do. You know, and then as you get older, obviously everything changes. But um, when I was in right after college, um, a buddy of mine, saw that me and my buddies used to get together and watch pay-per-views and stuff like that and just goof off and hit each other with stuff. And a friend of mine says, Hey, you know, you wanted to be a wrestler, right? I says, yeah. He goes, my neighbor is a wrestler. They just had a ring in the backyard for something. And, and I got introduced to a guy named Jet Bennett. And uh, he said, yeah, they they had a ring set up for the local news because they're trying to get kids out of the backyard into like the professional ones. And Jet introduced me to a guy named Trevor Adonis and Trevor's the one that took me under his wing right away and got me started with the basics and stuff. And he's the one that encouraged me to move to, to Harley and, and train with Harley and all that. So I've been wanting to be a wrestler since I was seven years old. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, I, it's funny. My earliest memories, my, my, um, how I got into wrestling was I don't, a lot of people have like bruiser has that moment. So many people have that moment of like, I saw this and that's what hooked me. And for me, I don't have that because I don't ever remember not, loving it like i think it predates my ability to even remember um you know loving pro wrestling but i, I mean i know it comes from um, my aunt um was a big or you know, is a big wrestling fan still to this day and i remember being at her house and she had the old ljns and i would play with the ljns at her house and i started getting the ljns and i mean this is i mean you're talking when i'm three four years old i think there's pictures of my fourth birthday where i'm getting you know, like the British Bulldog, like two packed, and um, so I've just been a, I've just been a fan. Is literally since before I can even remember. I don't ever remember not. Um, you know, the funny, ironic thing is, I never thought about doing it until um, I was, I was a teenager. I mean, I was obsessed with baseball. Like, I love baseball. I, I thought I was going to be the first baseman for the Boston Red Sox, if I'm being fully honest. But uh, turns out you gotta, you gotta have, a, you gotta be talented at baseball to do that, to actually achieve that dream. So um, I had a buddy who, when we were in high school, uh, signed up for Killer Kowalski school. And, that, and I, I guess for me, I just never had even fathomed it because like, how do you even, you know, and I was definitely like, like, I was the person who, like, when people would say pro wrestling's fake or not real, like, I would get real mad about it and, like, ready to fight people over it. Um, so I, I definitely I definitely wanted to believe. I definitely wanted to always be lost in the moment when I was watching when I was a kid and not, not think about that it's a show. Like, I was really, you know, just consumed by it. Um, and then my buddy got involved, and that's when I really started to think about, like, wow, you, there's a school? There's a school, <laughs> like, you know, 30, 45 minutes from my house. Um, and I used to go with him a lot to, um, to watch training, um, you know, at Kowalski's and I would just sit there and I could just, just like, you know, you know, just be super intimidated by, by, you know, by Walter. And, um, and then finally in, in 2001, I, uh, you know, 
I finally got enough money. My, my friend's mom, you know, uh, gave me a loan um, to sign up for wrestling school. And uh, I, he, uh, Bruiser alluded to it. Me and Todd Sinclair, senior official of Ring of Honor, we literally started pro wrestling school together the same week. So that's, that's pretty cool. But uh, yeah, uh, it's, you know, and it's something that I have chased since I was 19 years old. So literally over half of my life now I've been, uh, uh, you know, it's something that has been uh, a part of my life. Well, you guys both mentioned some legendary names uh, in the business. And, and I know that you trained under those guys. Um, Bruiser, it was Harley Race for you. Uh, Brian, as you mentioned, it was Killer Kowalski for you. What was that like? I mean, training under, I mean, the word legend gets thrown around a lot, but I don't know anyone who knows the wrestling business who would not say that Harley Race and Killer Kowalski are legends. How were they as trainers? uh, Were they very hands-on? You know, by the time I, I, you know, so – the, the actual head trainer of, of Kowalski slash the chaotic wrestling school was, was a guy named Mike Hollow, who is really an, uh, you know, an unsung hero. in in, <laughs> in the kind of like the last 20 years of pro wrestling with the guys he's trained, but uh, Walter was definitely older, less active, very rarely would actually get in the ring. It was more like sitting and barking <laughs> at things he didn't like. Um, but so many people in, 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 um, you know, Hanson, who used to be in, in Ring of Honor, uh, we, we came up together there. And we, we were two of the few people who actually really would just try to take advantage of having, of having Walter there. Um, because it, it, he forgot more about pro wrestling than I'll ever know. So, you know, for, for me, it was really just getting whatever I could and, and just sitting under that learning tree and again, he, he's not capable of physically getting in the ring at that point, um, but he would be able to show you things here and there physically. But mostly it was just the knowledge that he was imparting on us, you know, just through talking and asking questions. I mean, I get to go on a road trip to Quebec City with him, which was just, a, I mean, an insane story in itself. Um, but just to, just to be around him and... <sighs> he's a guy to me who would have made money in any era of pro wrestling would have main evented in any era of pro wrestling. Uh, he could cut promos and talk before that was even like a a big piece of it. Um, and to just have spent the amount of time I was able to spend with him, uh, and listen to him and and learn from him. Uh, I think about it today and I'm still blown away and, and humbled by the fact that that got to be a piece of my journey. Like I, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. Well, and I'm going to give away my age a little bit here. Uh, growing up in Baltimore, a WWWF, that's, there was an extra W back in the day, uh, <laughs> city. Uh, as a very young boy, Killer Kowalski was making one of his last big runs in the territory as a challenger to Bruno San Martino when he was the champion. And I remember uh, seeing those matches live and just seeing Killer Kowalski up close as a young boy he legitimately scared me. I mean, not that I thought he was going to, you know, jump into the, I was going to say hop the rail. There was no rail back then. We actually didn't have a rail. There was no barrier between the the front row and and the ring, but he just scared me. And I was like scared for the guys that would get in the ring with them. Like I would sort of, uh, you know, live through them vicariously. Like 
uh, like, my God, how scary must that be to have this guy stalking you and, you know, putting the stomach claw on you. But it's funny because then years later, I heard that he's like the nicest person you'd ever want to meet. I got to know Bruno a little bit. And Bruno would talk just in glowing terms of what a great guy Walter was. And anyone who met him, trained under him, it's all this, everybody has the same story. That he was just the sweetest guy, which shows, I mean, how good he was at portraying this. I mean, he was one of the vilest villains uh, in the history of the business. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you a quick story of just like how, what type of person Walter was, you know, we, I, I mentioned the aforementioned uh, trip up to Quebec City. Um, this is one of those notorious shows that the promoter lost the cash box because, um, you know, he didn't really sell any tickets. That's actually the first the first time I'd ever met uh, PCO was on that show. But, um, you know, here's Walter, who was not a wealthy man. Um, yet, you know, he, he sure he made a lot of money in pro wrestling, but he very much, you know, um, had to do things to still earn money to live. Um, and we go up to Quebec City, everybody kind of gets, you know, screwed. And all he was concerned about, because there, there was a big group of us from his school that went up. And all Walter was concerned about was making sure all of us got taken care of. And of course, all we're trying to do is make sure Walter gets, <laughs> gets taken care of, because we understand, you know, um, you know, his situation and Walter needs his money to, to live, <laughs> you know, and all of us are just young guys coming up in pro wrestling, knowing we're not going to make a lot of money. But that's all he cared about. That's all he obsessed about. He made sure all of us got paid, made sure the promoter took care of all of us, um, insisted upon on the drive home, me and Hanson insist, insisted upon paying for um, all the food, all the gas. Um, but that's just the type of person he, he was. Um, and the legacy he has left, um, you know, in pro wrestling, in the New England area, um, you know, specifically, but really in the world of wrestling, um, a lot, not, not enough people talk about Walter, um, I think still to this day. And he's somebody who just, um, to me, is that larger than life. You know, when you think about press, pro wrestling and larger than life personalities and people that come through the TV screen, that's, that's Walter Kowalski, you know, all day, every day. For sure. Yeah, I think any wrestling historian uh, certainly knows the value of Killer Kowalski and the, the successful career that he had, and what he contributed to the business. And it was a long career. Um, it's funny. It a, the, the last memory I have of, uh, like I told you, Killer Kowalski had this run in like the mid-70s in the WWF as a challenger to Bruno. He came back in 1977 under a hood as the masked executioners. And, you know, I was always fascinated by masked wrestlers and, you know, what they look like. You know, what does Mil Mascaris really look like? And, you know, the masked superstar and all these guys. Like, you always wondered what they look like. And when the executioner showed up, it could not have been any more obvious that that was Taylor Kowalski. <laughs> from, from, from just the body type to they would then let him talk. And, and he had a very distinctive voice, as you know. Oh, yeah. And it's like, that's Killer Kowalski. Like, who are we fooling here? But it's funny because the other guy, do you know hands. who the other guy was? Big John Studd. Absolutely. It was Big John Studd <laughs> before he was ever Big John Studd. I guess he was, he, was he Killer Kowalski's, was he a student? Yeah. He's the yeah. first, yeah, he was the first Kowalski student, uh, Big John Studd. So some, some awesome lineage there but yeah you know I, I joked about i mean walter under a mask one he again distinct body type two i don't know if you you know if you've ever got close enough to him but his hands were the most massive 
like catcher's mitt like hands. Like I swear he had like like a break in the middle of his hand that and it like extended. Like I've never I've never shook somebody's hand that had it engulf mine in the way his his would. So like yeah, putting him under a mask even in the seventies where uh, you know, kayfabe was alive and well. Um, yeah, I can't imagine too many people didn't know that 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 was Killer Kowalski. Well, and I know what you mean about his hands. That's why that stomach claw was so effective. Mm-hmm. It would put that claw on you. Know, I'm just, you know, imagine. And it was all in like his body language and stuff. The way he would kind of stalk his opponents. And it was very scary. When I, I mean, I was like, I'm talking like six years old. When I was six years old, <laughs> and I got a load of Killer Kowalski. I was like, that guy's scary. Um, Harley, Harley race. What, what was yeah. it like uh, training with Harley? Well, I think it's great. You guys are talking about, uh, Kowalski's hands. Cause Harley had gorilla paws for hands, like, uh, kind of the same thing. And like, you look at his hands and you can tell he was a working man. They're huge. And, uh, Harley was a certified chiropractor. So anytime that you were sore or beat up or something, he'd work on you. And I remember one time I, uh, I took a moonsault and I caught a guy's thigh at the top of my head and it kind of jammed my neck. So for a week, Harley wouldn't let me get in the ring, but you obviously still went to training. And for a week, Harley would just work on my neck with his hands. It was just, it was the most painful yet relieving thing ever because his grip was just so strong. But yeah, um, training with Harley was great. Um, like Kowalski, he was in the twilight of his career. You know, he was, he was, didn't do a lot in the ring, but I would go, Harley would get to the school around 10, 1030 in the morning and I'd make sure I'd show up then. And we didn't have training until like five o'clock. So from like 10, 10 to, let's see, it was like 10 to one. I'd be with him. We'd go to lunch. I'd go to the gym, come back. And when we were there, I'd just ask him questions and, and just like Brian said, sit under the learning tree and we'd watch, We'd do many things. We'd watch his old matches, and he'd break them down for us. We'd watch old promos, and he'd break them down for us. Well, me. Uh, one of the things that I got a real kick out of is he pulled up the old Wrestling at the Chase uh, booking sheets. And um, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but in the Midwest, Wrestling at the Chase is a big thing in St. Louis. And sure. it's an NWA territory. And Harley would, would book it. And he brought out – I'm talking like a year's worth of like these booking sheets and he could remember each day and you could see the pencil lines through this guy and this guy. And, and he referred to Ric Flair as the green kid. Cause when Flair came in, he was real green and, and you could, he said the same thing about like Mr. Perfect and stuff like that. And he, he could remember that kind of stuff. I always say I went to grade school and high school with Trevor and I went to college with Harley and uh, you know, cause Harley would teach us, uh, we, we did in-ring stuff, but then Harley would also teach us how to talk to promoters and how to market ourselves. And he'd teach us the business side of wrestling. Because when it comes down to it, is wrestling is a business. You know, um, you put yourself through all this abuse and all this stuff on your body. You, you want to you make a living doing it. And Harley would teach us that. This is how you do that. And um, it'd be really cool to, to, like Brian said, you know, he, he couldn't figure out why people wouldn't, you know, bug killer Kowalski more I I never got that about Harley I don't get why guys would do when when bug them uh whenever we do road trips and stuff for the shows like nobody wanted to ride with Harley and uh so I'd always jump in and and the only rule Harley had is you, you just you don't fall asleep you know and right. if his beer's empty you open up another one and give him another one and so you know I remember one time I fell asleep and I remember nodding off and you get this loud crack because those gorilla Paul would just come over and chop you in the chest. And you, oh, okay. I'm awake. I'm awake. 
but he always, you know, <laughs> if you fell asleep, the driver would fall asleep. That was the old, that's that old, old territory mentality, you know? And uh, it, it was great. And, and Harley wouldn't, he'd be kind of like, he'd be ringside and he'd see you do stuff and he'd yell at you to, you know, you're not doing that right and stuff like that. And he'd make you get out of the ring and he'd show you, you know, this is why you're doing it wrong. This is, you know, and uh, Harley, again, it was a, a, a guy who, well, everybody that went to school there was treated like one of his kids. You know, I remember a time where I was living in Eldon, Missouri, and I couldn't afford to pay my, my electric bill and they're going to shut my power off. And for like a month, my power never got shut off. And the next thing you know, the next bill I got is completely paid for. Turns out Harley had paid my electric bill and never said anything to anybody. He just did it because he knew that I couldn't afford it and I needed to live with power and stuff. And he never asked for anything in return. You know, he just asked that you show up to school and, and be positive, you know, and that's just the type of guy he was, you know. Um, he, he cared about wrestling. He cared about us. And I consider it an honor to to train under him. And then when you, when we went to his funeral, um, when we lost him, we went to his funeral, it was cool to see the, the wrestling world turn out for him and show the respects, you know, like you had guys, you had a bunch of indie guys there. You had a bunch of, you know, guys that have been in the indies forever. And then you had legends there, you know, Flair was there, Undertaker was there. And it was, man, this guy made this impact on all these people, you know, and it, it was just really cool to see. Yeah, those and are great really cool stories. To be part of that legacy, you know. Absolutely, those are great stories um, that you guys got to sit under the learning tree, and and I think it really does. Like, it's insane, uh, Bruiser, as you kind of alluded to, that anyone that would have that opportunity to sit under the learning tree of guys like Harley Race or Killer Kowalski and wouldn't take advantage of it. Uh, I, the only word I can think of is insane, and I think it obviously it says a lot about you guys that you were smart enough to understand that you had this, you had access to this incredible knowledge from two guys who did it at the highest level for decades. And they were willing to impart their knowledge onto you and, and to, for anyone not to take advantage of it. I just think is, like I said, it's just insane. And I think it, it, it goes to show why you guys eventually, you know, you, you got to live out your dreams and you got to make it. And I'm sure the knowledge that you got from those guys was a big part of that, as you as you alluded to when you began training with with uh, Harley and and uh, Walter, they weren't young men. It wasn't like they were necessarily hands on in that sense of getting in the ring, um, but with their minds, they could train you so well and impart so much knowledge. Um, just really, uh, you know, I'm sure just an invaluable experience and um, great life experiences that you got to know those guys on the level I, that that I you think did. I think that shows too another another um, aspect of Brian and mine, uh, our our friendship and our relationship is Brian and I, you know, since we both came from kind of the same beginnings with the legends and stuff. Um, Brian says this all the time: we're wrestling fans first. Like we've always been wrestling fans, and Brian and I go out of our way whenever a legend comes in. Like you remember when Rock and Roll Express came in for Ring of Honor for a little bit, and then we ended up doing the NWA tapings. Brian and I went out of our way to make sure we we hung out with them and talked to them, and you know, because one we get to hear cool wrestling stories, but two we get to learn a little bit, you know. And I think that's a the aspect of Brian and my's relationship too that made us close, is we both had that same mentality, like you know like let's not waste this opportunity <laughs> you know we have an opportunity a lot of people don't get let's not waste it yeah 100 when i when i worked for wwe creative 
I got to be around guys like Pat Patterson and Michael Hay. I mean, obviously Vince McMahon and, and uh, you know, Triple H and those guys. But there was an opportunity one time where we were um, leaving for TV from the hotel and uh, Michael and Pat and myself all happened to be standing like sort of waiting for a cab. And as luck would have it here, you know, the three of us jumped in the cab together. And it wasn't like I was asking them a lot of questions. I mean, it was a short ride, obviously, to the to the arena. But I was a fly on the wall to hear Pat and Michael Hayes sort of just, you know, uh, talking shop. I'm like, this is like the coolest thing ever. And, and, and just to be around these yeah. two guys, you know, two of the greatest minds, two of the best Finnish guys. And to just listen to those two guys talk and be a fly on the wall. I'm like, man, it, it doesn't get any better than that. So, no, and people that's, how you learn. that's how people, you learn. Yeah. Yeah. You learn yeah, in this people, business that way. People oh, pay thousands of dollars to do that. You know what I mean? People will pay thousands of dollars to have that experience that you just had. And, and it was your job. You know, that's so cool. Exactly. Anytime Pat would, you know, he would sometimes hold court and uh, man, anytime he would just talk, like I would, I would, you know, I mean, just, I'm talking like informally backstage or whatever in catering. Um, if I saw Pat holding court, I made sure I got to be a, you know, got to be a part of it. Um, I want to ask you guys though, when you guys started out on the Indies and you got into your careers uh, and maybe I'm wrong on the timeline, I don't know, correct me if I am, but it was, there were still the body guys, right? The physiques. Um, <laughs> and on the other side, you had the cruiserweights, you know, so there weren't a lot of guys, I don't think that were making it on a certain level with, you know, the bigger guys, the, the King Kong Bundy, you know, guys, the, yeah. uh, was, what was that like? I mean, was that a stigma that you guys had to overcome? You're laughing. So I'm guess there are stories. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was frustrating as hell. Go ahead. Yeah, it was frustrating. Yeah, it was frustrating as hell, you know, because, um, you know, I'll just speak to my experiences of, you know, I mean, part of it's, I guess, my own fault, you know, two, I, I started in 2001, you know, so I saw, I literally watched two out of the three national promotions die. And I said, hey, that seems like an industry I want to get into. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but no, it really was. It was the, I mean, in, at least in our parts, we kind of called it the, uh, you know, the, the six four two forty uh era. Yeah. Um where and the, and you know, some of the things and some of the things that you know you find out or um, you know, I know there was not only the stigma for being big, but there was the stigma too of coming from independent wrestling. It was like some of the bigger companies would just they didn't even want independent wrestlers because they felt like they would have to unteach you um bad habits but yeah there weren't there wasn't a lot of guys that looked like me and bruiser getting getting signed at that point so for me it was just the the struggle of you know and full disclosure i don't know maybe people don't want me to talk about i mean i i had I, gotten down to a very low weight for me um and it, it, you know it just was never like good enough you know it was never you know, I look back at the pictures now and i'm like damn i, I need to get back to that shape <laughs> like like you know stat <laughs> Um, but in those moments, it was, you know, it was just, it just never felt good enough. It just was never, you know, you know, here I am, I'm, you know, I'm in the gym six days a week. Um, I'm dieting hardcore, um, you know, working with trainers, uh, you know, so for like a normal person or things like that, I was, you know, I was in really good shape. And then you'd go and get evaluated by a national company and you hear the, it's, it's the, yeah, but you know, you 
we think you're very talented. You think you, you we like this, we like this. And then inevitably the dot, 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 but. Um, so, so for me, a lot of it too is why I just feel so, I feel so um, grateful and indebted to um, Ring of Honor. And uh, I guess I'll, I'll omit names because I don't know what we're supposed to say of like who talent evaluators are or whatnot in Ring of Honor. But I did a Ring of Honor tryout and on the last day, they give you, you know, they give you the feedback and they kind of tell you like, uh, you know, and then you have some private conversations and I'm just waiting for it because for, you know, at that point, you know, 15, 16 years, I had heard the same things. We think you're very talented. We think you have a lot of talent, da, 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 dot, dot, dot. But, um, and Ring of Honor was like, I'm literally waiting for the, like in my heart is just waiting for it, the dot, 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 but, and that, and that never came. So, you know, it represents one, a, di- a difference in philosophy by Ring of Honor, but also just a difference of philosophy and or difference of the way they do business and pro wrestling. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, I, I think about, you know, Kevin Steen, Kevin Owens and, you know, how long he sat, you know, under independence or he was in ring of honor for a very long time. And there's so many, there's so many guys out there, Samoa Joe, <laughs> like there's just so many guys who just had different body types who didn't get the opportunities on national stages because it was just, you know, it, it's the, you just hear the same thing. It's a cosmetic business. It's an upper body business. It's just, and it's just like, well, to me, it's always been a business about differences. So if you just have all these, like these people that look like they were pumped out of a wrestling factory and they all look the same, have the same haircut, you know, the roughly the same physique, all roughly the same size. Like that's never been pro wrestling, even at its height. That's never been, it's the, you know, it's the people who look different, come from different areas of the country. You know, that that's what to me makes makes wrestling, you know, great and is everything's a little different. And everybody looks a little different. Everybody's from a different place. And it becomes like this melting pot and like almost like this microcosm of society as a as a whole type thing. But yeah, it was tough, man. It sucked. There were a lot of a lot of tough times and sleepless nights and like questioning if you're doing the right thing or questioning if you want to keep pursuing this to just keep hearing the same thing, because, Hey, look, I mean, I can tell you right now, <laughs> you know, I need to cut, maybe cut a couple beers out of my diet, you know, and, <laughs> and that sort of thing. But I, I, I am never going to be, you know, I'm not ever going to look like Josh Woods. Okay. <laughs> it, ain't in the cards. it ain't in the cards. I mean, Josh Woods looks like he's chiseled out of granite sometimes, you know, and, uh, you know, and I love him, but I, I ain't never going to look like him no matter what I do. Yeah, breaking in during that time period was rough. Um, but it, it shows you that you work hard. You're going to get, you know, get what, what you know, hard work pays off. Um, I remember complaining to Harley a bunch of times because, you know, I'd do extra stuff and, and I'd do a tryout and they'd be like, okay, well, you need to lose X amount of pounds. So I'd lose all that weight. And I do another tryout. Oh, you need to dye your hair blonde. Okay, so I dye my hair blonde. Then you need you do a bunch of stuff. Oh, you need to put weight back on. Okay, I'll put the weight back on. And it was just after a while, it just got to the point where like nobody knows what they want me to do. So I'm just gonna be me, you know. And um, after I got home from Harley's and stuff, I was kind of set. I'm like, okay, cool. Like this is how I am. This is who I am. This is my body type. This is where I'm comfortable. And then doing the the Ring of Honor stuff and talking to the to the creative and stuff. I remember one time, uh, this is, uh, this guy, this is before Brian started. It was right before Brian started. Uh, 
if you guys remember the the weight the sweat belts were in where you could wrap them around your stomach and sweat it off and stuff and uh i had gotten one of those um because i want to cut a little bit out of my midsection i was warming up and uh creative one of the guys in creative walked by me and says, you're gonna lose your job if you keep doing that you know we don't want to we don't want to fit beer city bruiser we want a beer city bruiser that looks like he drinks beer and like it made me feel good because i never heard something about that about my body where hey your body's perfect the way it is because when we broke in it was always like i think brian said six four 240 pounds you know but hearing all those no's made the yes from ring of honor that much better you know and it it drives us every day um, one thing that I do like about both Brian and I is people look at us and they expect one thing and then Brian and I go out and we wrestle and we totally do something completely different that they're not expecting. And that, that's a good feeling when you hear people like, Oh my God, I wasn't expecting out of that out of a guy like your size, you know? Right. And it's cool to hear guys, our size coming to us online and stuff. There's a guy on, on Twitter who uh, he, he reached out to Brian and I, he bought our shirt and stuff. We did this thing where if you bought a shirt, we'd call you. And, and he says, it's because of you guys. And I'm, I'm trying to get a little more shape. And I think today he posted online. He's like, he's under 300 pounds for the first time in years. And it's like, good job. I wish I could remember his name, but, uh, Todd, 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 Todd Bozes is his name. Yeah. yeah. He's, um, that was, that was definitely cool to talk to, um, you know, talk to somebody who identifies with, I mean, that's the power of, of this business and the power, I guess, of, of the, you know, I, I, that's something I, I never, I, I don't know. Like, I'm just like a guy, like I never thought anybody would give a crap about me. And like, you know, and the fact that people like, I mean, I, I mean, just in all seriousness, like it's humbling the fact that anybody cares enough about me to buy a t-shirt, to want my autograph, to watch me on TV. And then for, 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 you know, this, you know, this person to reach out to us and tell us that we've inspired him and helped him along his weight loss journey. Like that's, I don't know. Like that's so cool. Like that is like the coolest thing ever. Um, you know, if that, if that doesn't, if that doesn't humble you, nothing will, you know, it makes hearing all those critiques that we'd get doing the extra work about all oh, you're too big and this and that, you know, like it makes it worth it. I'm, I, I will tell one story. I remember one time I did extra work. Um, and Kevin, you know how it is with the extra stuff. Like they, you have a bunch of local guys, um, they they get in the ring, they'll do stuff, and then if they have dark matches or enhancement matches or whatever, they choose the guys that they're looking at, and they fit them in. And at the time, it was uh, Arn Anderson and Sergeant Slaughter were the guys that were picking guys to work. And uh, I was there, and there's another guy who's about maybe about two or three inches taller than me, but about the same size. And uh, Arn goes through, and he chooses all the people, and he pulls us aside, and he's like, hey, I don't I don't want you guys to be discouraged. He goes, but I, I can't put you guys in the ring with these two heels because you're bigger than them, you're meaner than them, and you work better. And I can't, I can't show up our talent. <laughs> and it was just a cool thing to hear. You know what I mean? Like, okay, <laughs> you know, like you're not saying no because I suck. You're saying no because they do. <laughs> you know, like awesome. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, you know, I've always been of the opinion that, you know, talent comes in all shapes and sizes, and I agree with you guys a thousand percent that you don't want cookie cutter and it wrestling definitely did get that way for a while. Brian, you made a great point, even down, not just physiques, even like guys were getting the same haircut yeah. and um, <laughs> it really was like this certain look. And, and I, I loved it when you guys came to ring of honor bruiser, you, you know, you came first and I saw you work for the first time and yeah, you can't judge the book by the cover. It's like, you're really, you can do stuff. You wouldn't think a, a guy your size could do. And then Brian, when you came in, First time I saw you was in the top prospect tournament. 
and, and it was same, you know, same thing. Obviously you see a guy of your size and it's like right away that kind of cuts through the screen and you're like, wow, like this guy stands out. Uh, what can he do? And then you see what you can do. You can work. And that's what it comes down to. Bruiser, you can work. Brian, you can work. And the, the size just plays into, uh, you know, that you guys are different and, and it plays into your personas of the, of the beer drinkers. And to me, you guys, I always thought of you sort of as a throwback to the days of the bruiser and the crusher. And um, yeah, you know, it's great. We want guys that look like Roosh and are heavily muscled. And, and we also want guys that, you know, look like Jonathan Gresham, but are great pure technical wrestlers. And there's a spot on the card also for guys that look like the two of you. And I think that's, that's what it is. What, the, the one thing, even though you guys all look completely different, the one thing you all have in common is you all can work and you wouldn't be in ring of honor if you couldn't, there, there's no, there's no guy that, you know, there's no El Gigantes, <laughs> giant Gonzalez <laughs> in ring of honor. You know, he couldn't make it in ring of honor because you can't just be big. You have and to be able to work. That's why ring of honor is such a great company because you, you, how many times have you guys heard it? That wrestling is like an ice cream shop and it's depending on what flavor you want. Well, Ring of Honor's got the best selection of ice cream because you, you nailed it on the head. You have a guy like Roosh who is completely different than a guy like Gresham. Yeah, they're both muscle-bound guys and stuff like that, but Roosh is a you know luchador where Gresham is – he's our pure champion right now, and he, he wrestles that pure style. You know, and then you get to a guy like, you know, me and Brian who are just going to punch you in the mouth along with like the Briscoe brothers where we just love to fight. And, and it's literally like you have all of these flavors to choose from. So when you turn on an episode of Ring of Honor TV, it's not the same thing every single match. Even the pure tournament, when it was underneath the pure rules, every match was different. It was so fun to watch, you know. And, and I got to I gotta thank you, Kevin, because you compared us to – to Crusher and Bruiser, and and it's great because I come from Milwaukee, yep. and uh, Crusher is a huge thing here, and and I've been hearing it for most of my Ring of Honor years. You know, comparing Brian and I to Crusher and Bruiser, and I, I love that comparison because I, as a kid, I can remember uh, watching Crusher on TV, but then like he had this bar downtown South Milwaukee, and my dad would take me, and and he'd be sitting at the end of the bar drinking beer and stuff, and I'd be like, that's so cool. Like I want to be like that when I'm a wrestler, you know, like big inspiration and, and I remember doing Crusher Fest here in Milwaukee when they re revealed the statue and I got to meet his family and stuff and they they actually said what I'm doing their dad would like and gave me like the seal of approval and it was really cool and and I love that we get compared to Crusher and Bruiser like I just had to say that <laughs> yeah I think I mean I, I think and Kevin I think you saying that we can work and I think that that to me is something that uh, that I really appreciate and it feels good to hear from people because the history of Ring of Honor, people people that know the history of this company, like Ring of Honor is not hiring bad professional wrestlers. <laughs> like, you exactly. know, so no matter what you, no matter what you look like, this is not a company where you're quote unquote going to be protected by the magic of TV or anything like that. Like in Ring of Honor, when the bell rings, you have to be able to freaking go. Like it doesn't matter who you are. And when you're stepping in with, um, guys like Lethal and, and the Briscoes and guys of that, you know, guys of that ilk. It's just like, you know, you have to you have to be able to go. You have to be able to wrestle. You have to be able to work. You have to be able to do your part and keep up uh, and hold up your end of the bargain. Or you know what, you're not going to be around this company very long, no matter no matter who you are. I think it's you know the, with the history of this company and respecting the 
history and the lineage. And I love that the pure title's back because that is the, you know, um, a big piece of this company's history and a big piece of its future now. Um, but the ability to, you know, to be able to work and, and you have to have that belief in yourself. Although, although I will say there is something, you know, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how hard you work, um, when you get into the ring <laughs> with a guy like a Jay Lethal or the Briscoes or a Taven <laughs> or, you know, um, a John Gresham or, you know, so many of these guys, you're just like, man, um, you almost become a fan, you know, it's, it's, I guess in tag, this is easier in tag matches, but sometimes when you're on the apron, just watching these guys, like you're just, you're just in awe and you're realizing like, man, I'm, I'm in, I'm in the ring with something with somebody pretty damn special right now. But, I'm glad you know. to hear you're at awe on the apron while Jay Briscoe chops my face. <laughs> <laughs> Better you than me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is, this is an awesome conversation. Uh, we do have to take another quick break, and we'll be back with more with the bouncers right after this. I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Tuesday for brand new episodes as we catch up on all of the groundbreaking ROH news and get exclusive comments from some of your favorite ROH stars. We also have some great weekly segments like Question of the Week, This Day in History, and Brian Zane's Top 5. Join me every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on social media and youtube.com slash Ring of Honor for Week by Week. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guests are the bouncers, Beer City Bruiser, Brawler Brian Malonis. A uh, couple things I wanna, I wanna touch on uh, before we get to our 10 questions segment after the next break. Uh, Brian, one of the things I think that you were known for uh, before people ever really even knew, I think, who you were, um, I think you probably know what I'm gonna say, is, uh, yeah, I think I think I know where you're going. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a famous photo of you when you're was it in Chaotic Wrestling? I guess. Um, yeah. Yep. In Chaotic Wrestling. With uh, Vince McMahon raising your hand in what looked like a gymnasium with I don't know a couple hundred people. Uh, John Cena was the special referee for your match. Uh, you took an fu from John Cena. I think that's what they called mm-hmm. it back then. Um, it was, the, AA, yeah. the, the attitude adjustment, whatever it was back then. And Vince McMahon raised your hand. So I, I'm sure you've talked about it before, but for those who haven't heard, <laughs> what was the story behind that whole thing? And, and uh, how much did you actually get to interact with Cena and, uh, and Vince? I just want to put yeah, a disclaimer so was- out there. This is the best story you guys are going to hear today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it's definitely a really, really cool and wild and unexpected story. So, um, John Cena's daddy, he, he's, uh, you know, he um, is involved with a lot of different promotions in the New England area. Johnny Fabulous, great guy, love him to death, um, super nice guy. But he was involved with Chaotic Wrestling where, um, where I came from. So he kind of partnered with um, John Cena's brother uh, is a police officer um, in, in, I want to say it's like Newburyport, Massachusetts or something. And there was like an accident. He was in the accident and like the police cruiser got ruined so there was this was like a fundraiser for um like the police association in in uh in newbury or newburyport one of those two they are two different places believe it or not weird new england stuff um so um the, the funny story i always love to tell is the original main event for that show was supposed to be hansen of uh war machine versus rick fuller who i don't know kevin if you, i don't know if you're familiar with rick or not but rick a former wcw guy um yeah, I, I know his work. I, I never, I did not know him personally, but certainly know his work. Yeah. 
but um, I was supposed to wrestle Eugene. Well, my good friend, literally my, you know, one of my best friends <laughs> in the world, Hanson, politicked his way into wrestling Eugene. Um, <laughs> and, and then I got moved into the main event defending the title against Rick Fuller. So I got, we got to interact with Cena a lot during the day. And John, John had actually uh, been around Chaotic Wrestling a bit. When he first got on the road with WWE, uh, he would come and train with us on like every Thursday night for a stretch. Like he was always like just kind of around. And so we'd already had that relationship with him. His dad was always around. Um, but he, he meticulously put together the finish of this match, like step-by-step step meticulous. And I didn't think anything of it. I'm just thinking like, I mean, the dude's the WWE champion. He's the top guy in the industry. Like if he wants to call our entire match, like I'm just going to sit here and listen um, because this dude is the top guy, <laughs> literally the top guy in the business. Um, but he meticulously, you know, puts this entire, you know, entire thing together. So it ends up being like, um, like I hit Cena uh, with the with the championship belt, um, and then uh, Rick Fuller knocks, you know, just gives me something big and puts me in a submission hold, and I tap out, but no ref, the ref's out cold. Then my manager gives um, Rick Fuller a low blow. And then <laughs> John Cena Sr. comes in and kisses my manager. And it's just like all the commotion where everybody's down. And I'm, so I'm down. It's like a you know, quadruple down. And I see somebody get in the ring. And I, I didn't see who it was. So I start to – and I'm starting to sell up at this point to go into – and I don't remember what, 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 what John had called. But he had called, like, the entire thing to the finish. So I get up and like I start to turn around and I'm like on a knee and I realize it's Vince McMahon in the ring. Like I had no idea like what to do, what to say. I'm just like, I, I didn't know who got in the ring. I kind of was assuming it was, it was seen as dad again, but to see Vince McMahon in the ring, I'm like, what the hell is going on? Vince um, says to me, are, are you the heel or the baby face? And I go, I'm the heel. So he grabs my hand and just raises it and, the crowd's booing, and I wish I could tell you, like, I was, like, this snarling, drooling heel, like, just absorbing it, but my mouth was, like, on the mat, because I'm, like, is this, like, a fever, is this a fever dream? Like, is this even, is this even real right now? So, so you're not so, smart, you're not smartened up at all beforehand. You, do you even know Vince is in the building? Nope, no, absolutely no clue, and he was only in the building for, like, his limo was parked at, at like, a side door. He came in, he did the spot, and he left immediately. So he's raising my hand. I go, what's next? <laughs> because I had no clue. <laughs> he goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slap Cena. He's giving me the FU, and I'm getting the hell out of here. So that's, so that's, what's ha that's what happens. He gives him, he gives him the FU. Um, Vince rolls out, and then all of a sudden, Cena's waving me on. He's just going FU, 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 FU. Now, again, that was the name of his finisher. He wasn't telling me. You know, <laughs> go up myself. Um, he gives that to me, and very colorfully, I grab, I roll to the floor, and very colorfully, I, I, I say to my manager, I don't know what's going on, but that was the greatest moment of my <laughs> life. So that all happens like the wildest thing. So weirdly enough, I'm booked as an extra for uh, the TV tapings in the Boston area the following week. So in my mind, I'm like, well, this is it. This is my big break right here. Because who else has ever been on an indie show with Vince McMahon and had them raise his hand? So I can cock this plan where I'm going to find a way to talk to Vince at TV, which both of you know, <laughs> like, you know, for an extra to talk to Vince at TV, 
like that, that I mean, most of the talent there, I don't think talks to Vince. That <laughs> yeah, I was going to so. say, I, I've never seen an extra. All the times I was at TV, I never saw an extra ever interact with Vince. And as you said, um, for a certain, like obviously John Cena and Randy Orton, those guys can, can talk to him. You know, they're going to, he's going to open the door. But for a lot of the talent, no, they don't get to see Vince. So I, I got to do this. <laughs> so I, so I, did in, I, did, I did interact with them. So this is the end of the night. I'm literally just hanging around in a side hallway now where, like, his office was. And, um, and it's kind of like at the, at, the, at the building in Boston, the arena in Boston. There's, there's, only, there's really only one way in and out. Like, it's, there's just one hallway you have to go through. So, and I had camped out there. <laughs> like, I knew. Like, Vince McMahon has not left this building yet. So I was just hanging around and here, here comes Vince walking down the hallway and I stop him and he's kind of looking at me weird. I go, Mr. McMahon. And he's kind of looking at me weird. Like, I'm sure, I don't even know if he remembered it or not. So I go, I don't know if you uh, remember or not, but uh, we were in the ring together last week at, um, at, this, at that independent show that you made an appearance at. And uh, I just want to say thank you. That, was, that meant a lot. That was so cool. Uh, you know, and I really, I really appreciate it, but I just really want to say thank you. And he goes, looks at me, kind of like Cox said, and goes, oh, well, you're welcome. And then just, like, does the Vince McMahon <laughs> strut, like, out of the building, and there I am left, like, no, no, but wait, you don't want to sign me? You don't want to offer me a contract? We're buddies. <laughs> uh, you're welcome, and pal. And this is yeah. the moment you so see I, Brian's heartbreak. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did, I did try to because um, I thought it would be the coolest thing in the world if we could have gotten this footage somehow on Ring of Honor television. But I did recently discover that there is a uh, um, the chaotic wrestling can't release the footage in any in any way. So they signed something, which I should have known. I should have known the way WWE. Uh, you know, yeah, I was gonna say that that is not a that is not a. <laughs> yeah, WWE shot it too, so they have the they have the footage as well. But uh, yeah, it was the most surreal messed up like I don't even know sort of experience like it it felt like a I mean it's it's and I've had a few of those moments I feel like in my career but it's like it's like a fever dream it's like you wake up like you've been really sick and you know and you wake up and you have those weird dreams and like I tell that story and and if, like if, if you've never seen the video if you've never seen the picture um I've been accused of the picture being <laughs> you know like um, um Photoshop. Photoshop yeah yeah and I'm just like because it does. It sounds completely unbelievable, but it but it it happened. <laughs> and uh, well, I was lucky enough for. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, Kevin, how many people have, can say they've worked in in uh, they've worked with uh, John Cena, Vince McMahon, and Jushin Thunder Liger, right? I mean, it's probably a pretty small list, right? <laughs> I would say so. I would say so. And certainly working with Vince and John Cena in a in a gymnasium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there was there was. Kevin, there was 1,100 people there, okay? <laughs> what? Okay. Well, it was hard to tell from the video. Hard to tell from the video. Yeah, it was like a high, it was like a high school gym. It was, really, it was really a cool experience. And, um, you know, um, like I said, John, for the, for, you know, for, for I've actually gotten to, you know, I'm not going to pretend like I'm not going to, oh, I'm really good friends with John Cena because I'm not friends with John Cena. But John Cena is like one of the most humble, down-earth guys I've ever encountered, especially for um, the level of, of, fame that he's achieved and in every interaction including that one i ever had like couldn't couldn't have gone you know more out of the way like after the show here he is i'm sure he just wants to get the hell out of there spent an hour with me you know talking about the match breaking things down you know that he saw in the match so uh, just a super cool experience and a crazy story that that i get to tell so it's pretty cool 
that is an all-time great story. There is no Bruiser. You're right. That that's that's one okay. for the. <laughs> And the podcast now, it ain't getting any better. <laughs> <laughs> like, go out on a high note, like George Costanza, right? He would say one exactly. good thing on Seinfeld, and then he's like, I'm out. <laughs> well, we're almost out. We're not quite there yet. I got a few little loose ends I want to tie up with you guys. Um, you mentioned the paranormal earlier, and I know, Bruiser, you and I have, have talked. We've had our conversations. I think we're both fascinated with ghost adventures and I'm jealous that you got to go to the haunted museum, Zach Bagan's haunted museum in Vegas on more than one occasion. Yeah, twice. And you have, you have paranormal stories to tell with attachments and saging your house and all those things. I, I would love to, um, I would love to have something like, I, I'm a bit of a skeptic. Like I want to, it's like pro wrestling. I want to believe. Right. But I, I almost think like, uh, you know, uh, I know better. It's like, I really need to have my own experience for me to say 100% like I can believe it. But I, I believe your experiences. Uh, for those who haven't heard your experiences, I know you've told them on uh, the ROH Strange show that we, uh, that we did in the month of October for Halloween. But uh, can you just talk about a couple of your experiences that you've had? And then, Brian, I'm going to ask you what your thoughts are on the paranormal after, uh, after Bruiser. <laughs> right. Brian's, Brian's probably easier answer than, than my stories will be. <laughs> Brian's right, Brian, go first. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I guess I'm like you, Kevin, a bit of a skeptic. But you, I, to me, you just don't mess with it. Like, I'm not going to tempt fate. I'm not going to go mess with, like, things I don't understand just in case just in case like you know it's just you know what i mean <laughs> like that's I mean, not true is, he is, wants nothing to do with it there's been numerous times <laughs> where i've been crying i've heard this like we'll be on the road and i'll i'll do the research because kevin you know me i do research to find these haunted places i'm probably gotta stop by this place why it's haunted no we're not going there like we were in salem when we went to go visit um my wife and i went to visit brian and his wife over the summer and, and they live by Salem. So we went to Salem and there's a lot of haunted spots in Salem and I couldn't course, even get sure. to stand outside them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just don't think you mess with that stuff. Like why, 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 what's the need to mess with this stuff? Like what's the, has there ever been a good outcome of messing with things like, like all the stories you hear are terrifying, scary, crazy. Like somebody goes missing, somebody mysteriously dies. Like, you uh, don't yeah. mess with this stuff. Like, no what's the, is there ever been a good outcome? Hey, I wouldn't mess with this supernatural force. <laughs> dot, 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 bad ending. <laughs> <laughs> there was no bad ending. So my story is, uh, the one that you probably are, are alluding to, uh, Kevin, is my wife and I went to the Zach Baggins Haunted Museum, which is an amazing experience. I could not get Brian to go. I was mad both times. He didn't want to go. Well, the second time you couldn't because you, you, you didn't get uh, – everything shut down before you can get there. But first time I, he wouldn't go anyways. Um, we went and stuff and, and the, the, the museum's amazing. Even if you're not into paranormal stuff, just the history of all the stuff in there, cause it's all macabre and, and occult and stuff like that. And uh, it's just cool to see the stories and stuff, but then there's also the paranormal side of it. And, and the best, the best tool I find for paranormal research is your own body. Like if you listen to your own body, you'll know like uh, if something's wrong, like as far as anxiety, as far as uh, the tingling on the back of your neck, um, your nauseous feeling, stuff like that. And when we were at the, the Zach Baggins museum, 
you know, you get in there and certain rooms do cause you anxiety. Um, but the one particular room that we went into, it's, it's the Ed Gein room. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of doing research on serial killers and stuff like that. Again, Brian doesn't know my fascination with them, but uh, Ed Gein's from Wisconsin. So go out into the Ed Gein room where he, they have the uh, cauldron that he used to drain the, the blood of the bodies in. They have that in there, and then they have a shovel hanging on the wall that he used to dig up the bodies with. And when we first enter this room, now this room, when you walk in, it looks like an old barn. It's got a cauldron in the middle, and it's got pictures of him um being arrested pictures of his house stuff like that and there's like farm equipment hanging from the ceiling so like when we first walk in my wife kind of like starts swatting at her ear and i you know i'm looking she's looking around and stuff like that like you know if you walk into a cobweb that's what she's kind of doing and it happens like two or three more times and i'm looking I'm like you okay she's like yeah it feels like something's hitting me you know but i'm looking around and there's there's nothing there's no chains there's no cobwebs nothing it was just, it was kind of weird, you know. Um, we, we keep going on, and then we go to uh, – they have another thing. It's called the Devil's Rocking Chair. And what it was is a child that was possessed, went through an exorcism. This is the rocking chair he'd sit in. And uh, Ed Warren, who's a famous demologist and stuff, he had put holy water on it, and they had the actual chair. And when they opened the door to show you the chair, my back started to hurt more than usual. And that's normal for a pro wrestler for your back to hurt. But my wife's back started to hurt too, like real bad. And when we left and stuff, we thought nothing of it. Um, and we spent a couple more days in Vegas, but my wife's anxiety was like really high the whole time and real anxious. And uh, she kept seeing things and stuff like that. We flew home and it was real bad, but we were both real anxious, kind of like on edge on everything. And it just didn't feel right. So I reached out to my good friend, Tim Dennis, who runs a, a paranormal group and he does a, a radio show and stuff like that. And I said, man, what's going on? He says, something probably attached itself to you. Go get a sage and do a sage cleansing of you, your, your bodies and then your house. So we did and everything was fine. We're like, cool. You know, the next time we went, that's when uh, everything shut down. And if you check out, I think Ring of Honor put up, um, the, when everything got shut down, Mandy filmed a bunch of stuff. And I think she put on Ring of Honor's YouTube page. But we all, a bunch of us went to the Haunted Museum because a lot of us are big fans of the paranormal and the strange. And my wife was like, okay, we can go, but I'm not going in the Ed Gein room. Like, I just don't want to go. I don't, something attached itself last time. I don't want to go. It, it just sounds, you know, I said, you don't have to go in there. And that's the cool thing about the Haunted Museum is if you don't want to go into a room, they don't force you. It's all completely 100% up to you. So we're going through everything, and the, the first experience we have is is they they change the museum every so often so that if you go there a second time, it's still a whole new experience. And they had opened up the section that had a bunch of um, stuff in it, and it felt like someone had put their knee on my chest and was, like, pushing down, and I had anxiety everywhere, and I kept looking at, like, this one doll, and it just – it was terrifying for some reason. And I got out and stuff. And the thing with paranormal stuff is you don't discuss anything until you're completely all done because you don't want to feel anything for anybody else's, you know, like stories or, you know, stuff like that. Because skeptics will, you guys are skeptics, will always say, oh, the only reason you experienced that is because so-and-so mentioned that in a story. So what you do is you kind of keep everything to yourself to the end. Well, we get to the Ed Gein room and my wife's like, okay, I'm not going in. I'm not going in. It's like, okay, no problem. And she's standing in the hallway 
and we're in there, we're listening to the tour guide. And the next thing you know, I feel my wife's hand in my hand and I look and I'm like, oh, I thought you weren't going in. She goes, something drew me in here. Something said, come on in, we miss you. And she kept hearing that over and over and over again. And while we were in there, she pulls her arm away. She said it felt like someone had grabbed her arm as almost a, like a welcoming, like, hey, how are you type thing. And uh, we end up getting towards the end and we're in a room and uh, Mandy ends up getting scratched um, by something. We get outside and we're sharing all our stories and Mandy shows us her scratches. My wife shows us her arm where it felt like someone had grabbed her and it looks like she's bruising with like handprints and stuff. And it's, it's just like crazy. And we're all sharing our stories and stuff. And it turns out in that room where I had the, felt like a knee in my chest and stuff, Delirious and Mandy felt the same thing. So it's like, oh, cool. We all had experiences, you know? Well, we get home and my wife and I, I'm okay, but she's still experiencing these, this anxiety. And every night she's waking up with scratches on her leg, like three scratches every night. This goes on for three or four days. Finally, on the fourth day, I remember sleeping and I woke up and I saw something at the end of our bed and I freak out. I start yelling and stuff like that. And the next day, my wife and I are talking and I go, did you see, you know, did you see what was at the end of the bed? She goes, yeah, no, I saw it too. It was, it was something humanoid. We instantly went and got the sage, saged each other, saged our room, saged our house. Uh, we did it a couple times, and we haven't had any experiences since then. So that, that's my paranormal story. Oh, sounds delightful. Oh, sounds yeah. delightful. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it makes me, makes me really want to change my stance on not, not participating in these things. <laughs> I think the next time the three of us are together, we, uh, I think we get the Ouija board out. Oh, I don't mess with Ouija boards. No, sir. That, that, you know, Ouija board is inviting bad stuff. I'll go casually go look at it. I'll go casually look at a cauldron that blood was boiled in, but you <laughs> get me next to a board game. No way. I, I think our hotel in the ROH bubble's haunted. I do. Really? I still, yeah, I still believe that. I still believe or that. Was sle or Sledge was above you dropping weights. See, that's, that's, what I, that's the joke is that Sledge is working out dropping weights, but I, I like – I've talked to numerous people that were in the bubble that heard stuff, saw stuff. I, I firmly believe so. this next bubble that we're getting put into, I'm bringing ghost hunting equipment and I'm going to do research and I'm going to find something, Kevin. Well, oh. at least not, but I'm going to, I'm going to debunk stuff. How about that? All right. Awesome. Man, I'm looking to see if it really that. is sledge. <laughs> right. Glad, glad, glad we're not rooming together. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I want to get to one more topic before we uh, break away and do the 10 questions. Uh, we talked a little bit before we started the show uh, about the NFL. We're all big fans. Uh, uh, Bruiser, you're a big Green Bay Packers guy, obviously, being from Milwaukee. Ryan, uh, you don't make a lot of sense to me because you're from New England. Uh, yet you root – instead of rooting for, like, the greatest uh, – coach of all time and the greatest quarterback of all time one of the biggest dynasties in the history of the nfl the new england patriots you root for the pittsburgh steelers explain yourself <laughs> so i mean you gotta remember, like my age you know I'm, I'm 38 um the patriots sucked when i was a kid like i mean like bad like and so I, I, you know, like right now I'm telling you, my son is going to be a Patriots fan. Why? Because he goes to school and he sees all these kids with Patriots stuff. 
So growing up, so growing up, you, so, yeah. so growing up, you had no civic pride because your team was a losing team. You decided you would latch on to a, uh, I think that's called a front runner, a bandwagon jump. <laughs> well, no, I, I, have, say- I, have a, I have, I have reasons for okay. choosing the Steelers. So um, my dad was a big, big Pittsburgh Steelers fan. So he, my dad was in the military. He was a truck driver. First pro game he ever saw was in Pittsburgh, was the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 60s. So his fandom, he just kind of latched onto them then. So his fandom went back. So for me, it was just the, you know, none of my friends were Patriot fans, literally. And that's, that's the problem I have with these bandwagon. You want to talk about front-running bandwagon? There's no bigger fan base in pro, in pro sports that's front-running bandwagon. Because when I was growing up, everybody liked the Cowboys, everybody liked the 49ers, everybody liked the Raiders. Nobody liked the Patriots that I knew growing up with, with, you know, small exception. Um, and, you know, so for me, it was like, it was, it was actually like the way I bonded with my dad. Like we, we just, you know, he was a big Steelers fan. So for me, I just became a, I just became a big Steelers fan with them. And I've, I've been a fan my whole life. I, I've never rooted for the Patriots. And as they became good and I saw all the, I think my hatred of their, aside from the cheating scandals and things of that nature, my hatred of their, fan base in there i shouldn't be saying this i'm supposed to, be, I'm supposed to get people to cheer me on, on TV. right <laughs> um i'm isolating I'm, I'm alienating myself from my home region um but the biggest problem i have is there's just so many there's so many people that are just like they, they jumped on the bandwagon when they became good that that didn't support that franchise and to me like um i mean i thought you're gonna go after me for being a lakers fan living in new england too, but, i didn't even know um, that yeah <laughs> yeah um but, you know, for me, like, what makes – when your team wins a championship, what makes the greatest thing in the world is when you go through all those, like, you know, all those heartbreaks. I think of, like, you know, I'm a Red Sox fan too, but I think of, like, the heartbreaks before 2004 or the Steelers, you know, when they finally did get over the hump in Super Bowl Forty, like, that, that era of the uh, the 90s era Steelers that the, – because they never they, – they had a great defense. I was at a great running back, but they could never figure out the quarterback position. So they were always just players short. Like you go through all those times as a fan, it's so great when they actually win it. So to me, I looked at this Patriot fan base. So made up of a lot of people who I know didn't go through the rough times. And immediately when they became good, they hopped on the, on the bandwagon. So. Yeah, there's nothing, there's my story. Nothing worse than that. That's for sure. Being a Ravens fan, you know, the first few years, uh, team wasn't very good. I got season tickets on day one and uh, endured those first three losing seasons. And then in season four, we finally got to 500 and thought, man, isn't this great? And then the next year we won the Super Bowl. And we've been pretty spoiled since then with always being, uh, you know, at least in the conversation. Got another Super Bowl along the way in 2012. Of course, uh, you and I are are on opposite sides in the uh, AFC North. As we record this right now, we're through nine weeks. I think it's nine weeks of the season. Uh, Your your team is 8-0. My team is yes. two. We got another big meeting on Thanksgiving night. Um, but we also got now, you know, let's bring Bruiser in this. The Packers are six yep. and two. The Packers think, are almost always good. I got to ask you, like, how lucky is it to be a Green Bay Packers fan where you go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers and looks like you've got possibly your successor to Aaron Rodgers? I, I think it's funny that Brian brought up he's a Steelers fan because when he was a kid, the Patriots were they were terrible. Well, I grew up when the Packers had Lynn Dickey and and Mikowski, like pre-Favre. So you want to talk about losing seasons? Like I remember 
all of that. And that's why I think when Favre came in, it, it was that beacon. You know what I mean? Because Favre made plays when plays couldn't be made. And then uh, um, up here, it's always talk of his Rodgers retiring. You know, what's going to happen when Rodgers retires? And then they take the first round, they pick, uh, they pick Love up. And, and everybody up here is complaining. Like, you know, no, we shouldn't, we shouldn't have picked up a quarterback. We should have gotten a receiver. You know, we have Devontae Adams, but what happens when he goes down? Well, he did go down. We didn't do so good. And we need a, a number two receiver, and that's what, that's what the big thing was. But people are forgetting Favre's getting old. Or not Favre, but Rodgers is getting old. In fact, I was texting Brian last night while I was watching the Pittsburgh game, and uh, Big Ben Roethlisberger went for a run. He did a slide. I said, hey, do you guys cringe up, the, you know, and do you guys cringe too anytime that Roethlisberger, Roethlisberger gets hit because we cringe every time Rodgers gets hit because <laughs> we just don't want him to get hurt. <laughs> and, and you know, I'm excited for the future. I, uh, I'm glad they're doing what they did with Rodgers. The reason Rodgers is so good is he spent, you know, those four seasons under Favre, you know, and, and he learned from Favre. And from the looks of it, Rodgers is doing that with love, you know. So hopefully that when everything comes around again, we continue to have these winning seasons. Cause it's like you said, Kevin, like we've been spoiled ever since far. We've always had winning teams since far, you know, and I, I hope we continue that. Well, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of fans listening to this right now. We, like all three of us cheer for the halves of the NFL. There's a lot of team fans of teams <laughs> listening to this right now. They're just like, the hell, to, hell with all you guys. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I had, I had EC3 on uh, a few weeks ago, you know, big Cleveland Browns fan. So you talk about, you know, lots of lean times and lean years. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and man, God bless him. Although, you know what? He did say he was sort of losing his fandom a little bit, which is funny because now they're actually a, a respectable team, except when they play the Ravens and Steelers, of course. Then they get beat 38-6, 38-7, uh, what, what have you. Um, well, it's interesting because, like you said, we all have teams that are, that are doing well. Brian, yours is doing a little bit better, obviously unbeaten. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next few months. One of us, or who knows, maybe two of us on this call, maybe uh, may have a real rooting interest in the Super Bowl. Let's Hopefully, so, huh? that'll be great. We we it's funny. Um, Brian and I are always hoping for some of that. I remember uh, if you got, if you remember a couple years ago, we're both baseball fans, and I'm a Brewers fan. He's a Red Sox fan, and and if you remember, the Brewers and the Red Sox are both in the playoffs. And uh, I remember we were at um, Jimmy's. Uh, Jimmy's, Jimmy's famous seafood. seafood. Yeah, we were sitting there, and it was, it was the Boston had already gone on. They were moving to the next round. It was a exciting game for the Brewers to see if they'd play. And I'm like, man, this would be so cool if it's Brewers and Red Sox. Like, we got to come up with something. <laughs> but they got knocked out, and you know, didn't come to fruition. So if we can get a Packers, no offense, Kevin, we get a Packers Steelers Super Bowl. That'd be great for the bouncers. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin's not going to talk to me if the Steelers get to the Super Bowl because, look, look, I know. I am an obnoxious sports fan. I, I'll admit you are. That. I can own you are. I am obnoxious and smug. And <laughs> well, see, you and, I, you and I, Brian, we can have a little bit of fun with it. But I'm going to say this, and I'm being 100% honest. The Pittsburgh Steelers fans that I've been around are the most insufferable, obnoxious <laughs> – I mean, I've ever been around, you know, and I, I'm, I, again, as a Baltimore Orioles fan, I've been around Yankees fans. I've been around Red Sox fans. None of them can hold a candle to the Steelers fans, you know, from, from just, 
the entitlement of, you know, oh, you know, four Super Bowls, which then became six, whatever. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the towels. I mean, come on with the towels. I'm kind of glad now that uh, I'm kind of glad that that when we did before, I think it was before Free Enterprise, we a bunch of us got to go to the Ravens game, and uh, it was really cool. I'm a big fan of stadiums, and you guys have a nice stadium, and then we got to watch Lamar Jackson uh, break some record or something like that. Yeah, he broke this. That was the night they played the Jets, and they broke he broke the single season rushing record for a quarterback. Brian was trying to get in there early and I'm kind of glad Brian wasn't there because we'd have been surrounded by Ravens fans and Brian would have gotten into a fight with every single one of them. I didn't do a good joke to him though, Kevin. You know how they gave us those uh, Baltimore Ravens light up tubes that make sound? I actually got six of them and gave them all to Brian the next time I saw him the next day. You can only imagine where, where they ended up. <laughs> uh, they, they didn't. They didn't make it home to the Hamtramck. Can I show you that? <laughs> All right, well, we'll we'll see what happens. Season's about halfway over, but uh, yeah, we things could be a lot worse, right? We're all, we all have good teams, and uh, and the rest of the season should be interesting, barring injury. Not knock wood. None of our none of our guys get hurt. All right. Well, we're gonna take our final break, and then when we come back, we're gonna play ten questions with the bouncers. I'm Maynard the Malt Maker. I'm Mega the Bard. I'm Ander the Barbarian. I'm Santi the Bard. I'm Thea the Wizard. And I'm Tracy Williams. And to see which character I'll be playing, make sure you tune in to episode three of Role Play of Honor, brought to you by Ring of Honor. Join these stars and more for Role Play of Honor. Hey, Honor Nation. Check out the new and improved Ring of Honor shop at shophonor.com. Shophonor.com turns ordinary online shopping into a truly immersive experience. Our new mobile-friendly design is enhanced for better navigation and search. The recommended for you feature will showcase products based on your unique preferences, or find exactly what you want as you filter any category by your favorite wrestler, size, or color. Go to shophonor.com now. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. We're having a good time today with the bouncers. Your City Bruiser, Brawler, Brian Malonis, talking wrestling, football, paranormal, all kinds of things. Now we're going to play a little game we like to call 10 Questions. Gentlemen, are you ready? Ready. We are ready. And it is now time for 10 Questions with Kevin. All right, well, usually we play this, uh, it's literally, as it's called, 10 questions, where I'll ask our guests 10 questions. But since we got a tag team here today, there's two of you, it's really going to be five questions, 10 answers. Okay, so I will ask each of you the same question. There'll be five of them. So question number one, and we'll go age before beauty. Uh, So, Bruiser, you're up first. All right. Because we know we know you're a little bit older, and we know Brian's yeah. the, the heartthrob of, of the heartthrob. Yep, that's, that's what he tells me. Okay, question number one: If you could have a conversation with anyone, past or present, who would it be? Maybe this plays into our paranormal because the person doesn't have to be alive. Well, they don't have to be alive. Awesome. Any person, uh, past or present, alive or dead, who would you like to have a conversation with? Uh, Bruiser Brody. I would love to pick his brain because he he was known as an outlaw where he didn't stay in one territory for too long, but he still made a name for himself and he he still made money. So I'd like to uh, pick his brain about that. Brian, you, same question? 
does it have to be, I, I guess I missed the first does it have to be wrestling specific no it could be uh no pay attention oh. now Brian I didn't say wrestling <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I literally said I, I, any any person past or present <laughs> who would it be uh, I mean it, it, for me Roger Clemens like that's my boyhood hero like I I would he's probably the one person I would be starstruck if I ever met at this point in my life uh, I would love to sit down and have a have a steak with Roger Clemens okay Ask him about those steroids and all the, all the cheating that took place to, to, prolong his, to prolong his career. That all came after Boston, though. So. Well, that's true. That's true. You got me on that one. All right, question number two. Let's go with uh, Brian. We'll alternate. You get to ask, uh, answer this one first. What's a subject you'd like to know more about? Oh. Um, I know you're very, I know you're you know, very well-rounded and well-read individual, but anything else you'd like to, to get into? I mean, I, I, not that I want to get into politics on this show, but I think just the, in, the more of the, the inner workings of like how our government system works. I, I love it. I'm fascinated by um, things of that nature and constitutional type things. And um, I, I, w- I would like to become... Um, uh, you know, I think I'm pretty well educated, but I would like to be more informed and more educated on on how things work um, in our government specifically because I think it's important. Okay, Bruiser, you subject you'd like uh, to know more about? I'd like to learn uh, another language, whether it be Spanish or Japanese or Italian, um, something like that. And I should have taken this quarantine time to uh, learn another language, but my beer was cold and delicious, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were too busy doing sparring partners and writing a yes. blog and happy hour. So yeah, yes. I'll give you a pass on that. All right. Question number three, Bruiser. I know you're a happily married man, but do you have a celebrity crush? And if you don't have one now, did you have one when you were younger? Oh uh, yeah, I do have a celebrity crush and my wife knows about it. And it's, uh, it's the greatest singer of all time. Kelly Clarkson. Like she is, <laughs> she is everything. I just want to give her a hug and, tell her how great she is and I watch her show when I'm at the gym and I'm obsessed with Kelly. Greatest singer of all time, huh? Okay. Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. I'll fight you on that. I will fight you. I'm not going to fight you. You're, you're a lot tougher than me, but uh, okay. I mean, that's, I don't judge. Brian, your celebrity crush. Oh, uh, so I, I'll, I'll go, I'll go back to the childhood one. Uh, Elizabeth shoe. I've been in love with Elizabeth shoe since, uh, Karate Kid and Back to the Future 2 and Ventures and Babysitting. Um, and then she most recently still still absolutely beautiful. Uh, she was in The Boys, season one. Elizabeth Shue. If anybody knows her, tell her I love her. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can back him up on this because we watched Karate Kid when we were together one time and he was like a smitten child the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a little aside here, I've never seen The Karate Kid. Never watched what? it. Really? No, never watched Come it. Fantastic. Yes. You're missing out. That's what I that's what everybody tells me. But yeah, I've never never seen that movie. All right, question number four, Brian. What's the first concert that you ever attended? Oh, um, so it was um Godsmack um Saliva. And I don't remember who the uh, who the third band was, but uh, yeah, God, Godsmack and Saliva. So this is probably going back early two thousand, early two thousands. Um, okay. You know, 
rock and roll type thing. Uh, on, a, on a completely different note, I have seen Creed seven times in concert. So, so shameful. <laughs> that so is shameful. Shameful. I mean, I thought Kelly Clarkson was bad. Creed? Yeah. Horrible. Uh, Horrible. <laughs> I mean, Creed was like okay at first, but then they kind of became a punchline. Sort of like Nickelback, I guess, a little bit. Creed's uh, never been okay. <laughs> <laughs> Watch your mouth. <laughs> All right, Bruiser. First concert you attended. Uh, the very first one I ever went to was with my sister. We went to New Kids on the Block. <laughs> yep. Okay. Wow. Kelly Clarkson <laughs> and New Kids on the Block. But then the first one I went to by myself was Nine Inch Nails with uh, Marilyn Manson. Oh, okay. okay. Now you redeemed yourself. That, that's a great double. Yeah, but you asked my first concert. It's my first that's concert. That's true. Well, and that's what we look at. That's what we look for with these with these questions of that's why I say your first concert because a lot of times it is something that maybe was you know embarrassing when you look back. <laughs> I'm not embarrassed. I'm not embarrassed at all. <laughs> all right. yeah, I have seen New Kids on the Block three times. See, so. you well, from, give me New Kids, next... give me Insync, give me Backstreet Boys. I'll listen to all of that. Britney, well, they're from your neck of the woods, right, Brian? They are. New, yeah, they're Boston guys. So yeah. weirdly enough, I got to see them at Fenway Park. So. Okay. All right. So we've come to question number five, uh, our final question on 10 questions because we're doubling them up. Uh, Bruiser, other than Brian's ability to drink beer, which we know is world class, what's his best quality and what's his worst? Uh, his best quality is his sense of humor. Um, the guy's got one of the best sense of humor. Like we, we have similar sense of humor. So we, we can tell stupid jokes and laugh. Um, I, I remember many a nights of him and I drinking and uh, either putting on The Office or putting on some really bad indie show and just laughing and like, just just joking. <laughs> like uh, I remember one time we, we were trying to one-up each other of the worst wrestlers from our area on uh, YouTube. It was it was just fun. It was we were trying to find out physics of how you screw up a six one nine. <laughs> and it was just a good time. <laughs> um, his worst quality is he's a worry wart. He let he he worries about stuff too much. And I've told I've told him that. I've talked him off a ledge a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. Bridget doesn't realize this is all of us up here in like the New England Northeast area. We're all high, <laughs> it is. We're all a little high strung. It like. is. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, Brian, same uh, two part question for you. Uh, you can't say that he drinks beer very well. We all know that. That's an obvious answer. What, what's his best quality other than that? And then on the flip side, what is uh, what is your tag team partner's worst quality? Yeah, I mean, I think the best thing about Bruiser is just he, he's him. He's such a genuine, uh, a genuine person, a genuine friend, has concern for others. I, I don't think people – it's one of those things like, you know, you see our characters on TV, but people don't understand that about Bruiser, just seeing him on TV of how genuine – uh, of a person he is and, and the hard work and the caring and uh, and those types of things. So, I mean, he is, you know, one of the most genuine people I've, I've ever encountered um, in life. And his worst is snoring. Like, if I don't <laughs> go to sleep, we literally have to have a rule on the road when we're rooming together. I have to have the ability to fall asleep first. Like, I, yep. I, I have to go to bed first because if he falls asleep first, I'm not getting any sleep. And then I notoriously am always up, you know, 
I'll get up to, to use the restroom or something at like, you know, 6.37 in the morning and that's it, I'm up. So uh, if you're, you know, when we get back to normal, you know, if you're ever roaming around one of the Ring of Honor hotels around 7 a.m., you'll probably see me downstairs drinking some coffee because, uh, <laughs> you know, once you get up, there's no, I mean, th this guy could wake the dead. So. Yep. Well, <laughs> him and my wife have brought on numerous conversations about that. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she, she, she will send me, she sent me like a Snapchat one time of him snoring. She's like, don't you miss this? And I was like, not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. <laughs> well, the thing is, when you snore, you never, you never believe it when people tell you how bad it is. But my, uh, one of my daughters one time, I, I fell asleep. You know, they're always telling me how bad I snore or whatever. Right? Uh, I fell asleep on the couch and they, and she got her phone out and, um, and recorded me. And it sound, and then when she played it back to me later, I, I swear I thought she like put a sound effect in. Like I couldn't <laughs> believe that was really that was really coming out of me. But apparently it was. So I, I, understand. I understand. All right, well guys, this has been uh, a great conversation, a lot of fun. Always love talking to you guys. Uh, before we wrap up, where can people find you on social media? Uh, they can find me, the Beer City Bruiser. Uh, I'm at BCB Winchester on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Facebook as the Beer City Bruiser. Instagram, Beer City Bruiser. Uh, YouTube page, Beer City Bruiser. And ProWrestlingTees.com slash Beer City Bruiser. Oh, and yeah, I'm on uh, Cameo. I'm on Cameo, too, oh. Beer City Bruiser. I, I, will, I will toast to people. I'll make fun of people. I've even named babies and talked to a senator on me. Wow. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm not on Cameo, but <laughs> you know, I don't know Facebook. I don't I don't think I can. I think I'm at like the max limit or whatever. But it's like uh, Facebook slash Kingpin Malonis. I used to be the Kingpin. Now I'm the Brawler uh, on Twitter, and uh, I'm way more active there. Anyways, Twitter uh, at Brian Malonis and Instagram uh, at Brian Malonis KP. So um, yeah, I, I, I try to be act pretty active on social media. Uh, even I, I do have a um, a disdain for it lately. <laughs> yeah, we're both pretty active. We're both pretty active on there. Um, especially no, I on love the... interacting with fans. There's so much fun yeah. interacting with like fans who just genu genuinely want to interact and have a good time. And I think that that to me is actually really cool when uh, you know, like we talked about, you know, fans we've talked to. Like I don't know, social media can be used for good. So I just try to focus on the good stuff uh, and interacting with uh, you know some really great people on there. Like those watch parties and stuff, if people are wondering, yes, we actually do. Those are a do blast. Them. Yeah, we actually do <laughs> do them. It's not the company making us tweet it out and we don't show up. No, we actually are there. We're watching the shows. <laughs> we're tweeting with the fans and everything. Like, it's, it's, a, it's fun. We're, we're both very active on well, Twitter mostly. Yeah, well, since you mentioned that, let's, let's uh, tell people, let's give them the plug. Uh, the watch parties, which started during the Pure Title Tournament, will continue. Uh, they're every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, using the hashtag WatchROH, where you can watch the latest episode of Ring of Honor Wrestling and interact with the stars of Ring of Honor Wrestling. So those will be going forward um, every Monday, 7 p.m. Eastern, hashtag WatchROH. I must say, as, uh, as a public service announcement, you might want to stay off Brian's Twitter after Steelers' victories. It, it's a little, it's I, I a little will, obnoxious. I will say, uh, <laughs> my most entertaining, entertaining time on Twitter 
is when the Steelers are, are not doing well, when things are going poorly. Like, if you're a Steelers hater, you'll love it because nobody's harder on that team than I am, <laughs> especially the coach. Yeah. I'm the same way. I'm the same way with the Ravens. I mean, I used to go. I used to go on these rants on Facebook a lot of times during the Joe Flacco years. So that, Joe, Joe giveth and Joe, Joe taketh away at times. <laughs> All right. Well, once again, I, I really appreciate it. Um, uh, gentlemen, and I mean that in, in every sense of the word, thanks for being uh, so generous with your time today. Always wonderful to talk to you both. Thank you for having yeah, us. This is, this is, yeah, this is fun. This is, uh, you know, to be able to uh, come and talk and reminisce is always a good time. So thanks, yeah. thanks for having us. All right. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. Remember, a new episode of the RRH Strong Podcast drops every Monday morning on RRHWrestling.com and most podcast platforms. Keep it locked onto RRHWrestling.com and RRH's social media channels, at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor for news regarding upcoming episodes. Until next time, this is Kevin Eck saying stay safe, everyone, and let's all be ROH strong.